0: following teaching is from the Warrior's Heart Bible Study for Men. You can find us on the web at warriorsheart.org. We hope you have a great day. That was an interesting comment that Eric made about the, the 1500 meters if you all saw the Olympics uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, the race that I ran, the 1,500 meters, they ran really, really slow. <laughs> I don't know. Did you, did you remember the time? It was painfully slow. It was, yes. <laughs> Although I would have to be on a bike to keep up. <laughs> <laughs> they ran, um, I think it was like 3.48 or 3.49 or 3.50. It was some ridiculous time. It was really slow (laughs) so they ran the first three laps just uh, strategically nobody wanted to take the lead and then they just sprinted the last uh, lap Um, I think they ran like a 51 quarter in that last lap Um, that winning time was basically one of my slowest times (laughs) 1500 meters but the, the, the prelims they actually ran fast To get to the prelims, Uh, so it was a a really uh, unusual race. Well, I'm going to introduce the kingdom of God in the Old Testament, and then the kingdom of God in the New Testament. And this is really helpful if you want a biblical theology of uh, the kingdom in the Bible. Uh, This will help you to understand what you're reading in the Old Testament. And what you're reading in the New Testament and what um, and how to fit it together uh, into the plan of God uh, for you uh, in your life and the scriptures so let me start off with the kingdom of God in the Old Testament what is exactly is the kingdom of God does anybody have an idea like a one-sentence definition what is the kingdom of God we kind of take it for granted uh, everything? <laughs> okay. Texas, okay. <laughs> yes. Okay, joy, peace, righteousness, and the Holy Spirit. Okay, good. Okay, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the image of God and man. That fits perfectly with your definition. Uh, anything else? Okay, peace, shalom, no war. Okay, okay, good. So the kingdom of God um, is a, a term we throw out a lot. In fact, when Jesus comes, he says the kingdom of God is near. He's preaching the kingdom of God. He's offering the kingdom of God uh, to uh, Israel. And he's, he appears as the king. And so this concept of the kingdom of God really started... Uh, in the Old Testament, and is completed in the New Testament when Jesus comes back uh, on his white horse in the book of Revelation, right? And so, uh, what exactly is the kingdom of God, and how does it relate to you, because you are kingdom men, right? And so, uh, we're going to look at the biblical theology of the kingdom of God, and what is my role uh, in the kingdom of God, and how... Can I fulfill my purpose as a kingdom man. And so, let me give you my definition. This is a long sentence. Uh, The kingdom of God is God's universal and earthly rule. So, the kingdom of God encompasses both uh, the universal aspect. God is the, the, the king of the universe. But also, there's an earthly kingdom that he set up. And he mediated this kingdom to man and woman, to Adam and Eve. In a sense, Adam and Eve were uh, king and queen of the earth. He gave them the ability to rule through the image of God. And so God created man and woman in his image. And he said to to man and woman, rule over the creation. Uh, Psalm 8 is all about this. Uh, ruling over the creation. What is man that you are artful? You are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him. And so God uh, created man and a woman as the jewel of the creation. And so David is writing Psalm eight. He's looking at the heavens. This you know shepherd. He's looking at the sky and he's wondering, uh, why did you do this? Why did you choose me as the jewel? of the creation. And so we are uh, kingdom men. And God has created us for a specific purpose. And he's given us the ability to rule by giving us his own image in us. But uh, due to the fall, Satan wrestled this earthly kingdom away for man. And so God promised a savior uh, to take back the kingdom. And his people. And so we're going to look at some of these verses. But that's the big picture. That's uh, my definition of the kingdom of God. So there's the universal kingdom. God never loses control of the universal kingdom. He is the sovereign. But then there is the earthly kingdom. Where uh, we get the Lord's prayer. uh, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. heaven." And so God was... uh, God created man and woman in his image to reign and rule on the earth, in this earthly kingdom. And so, um, due to the fall, man now needs to win back that kingdom. And so God is going to do that through a promised uh, Savior, a promised Son. And so we'll start with uh, Genesis 1.26. And God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, And let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and the cattle and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so here's the commission. uh, And this is where the kingdom of God, the concept begins. So man is to reign and rule uh, on the earth and he's to do it representing the king of the universe and so it's a mediated rule and he gives us the ability to do that uh, by making us in his image and so uh, God blessed and he said be fruitful and multiply fill the earth and subdue it and rule and so there's the command uh, we are to reign and rule over the creation as the vice-regents the kingdom on earth. (coughs) And so this is the mediated kingdom. So we have the universal kingdom (coughs) and then we have the uh, mediated kingdom on earth. So uh, you must remember that God never loses control uh, over the universe. Um, But the mediated kingdom on earth, man um, falls and then loses uh, control this mediated kingdom. And so we're going to see the scriptures are going to play this out, this kingdom of God uh, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. <clears throat> so if we go to Genesis 3, 4, and 6, uh, the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. Now in the Hebrew, the word there uh, for uh, you surely will not die, is uh, the the word uh, in Hebrew for death. It's used twice. And so he says, you will not die, die. <laughs> it's like, you won't really die. That's in Hebrew, the way you say really or surely is, you say the verb twice. So he says, you surely will not die. You will not die, die, really die. <laughs> and, uh... He says, God knows that in that day you eat from from the tree, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God. Well, they already are like God. They were created in His image. See, the image of God in man is basically the ability to reign and rule. That was the commission, right? And in order to do that, um, you must have the ability Uh, to reign and rule, and that means uh, you have uh, intellect and emotion (coughs) and a will. Uh, Like the persons of the Trinity, they each have uh, intellect, emotion, and will. And also the moral or communicable attributes of God were given uh, to man and woman, and that is the ability to to love and to experience love. See, God is love. He's always been love. I had a student, uh, I was teaching high school in Dallas. I was working my way through seminary. And one of my students came in and said, uh, she was crying, and I said, well, you know, what's wrong? And she says, uh, my, my, my teacher said that I came from a monkey. And she's, you know, she's crying right before class. And I said, oh, don't worry. You're, I said, your professor might have come from a monkey but you didn't. <laughs> and so that comforted her a little bit and so the next two days we began to discuss where we all came from and so I used the Socratic method and I said you know well where do monkeys come from then they said reptiles and where do reptiles come, come from and they said uh, fish and where do fish come from and they said you know amoebas where do amoebas come from and they said uh, I don't know, molecules, where do molecules come from? And the basic elements of the universe, and they stopped, and they couldn't figure that out, because nothing comes from nothing, right? Uh, but you know the song, Nothing Ever Will. <laughs> and so, somebody spoke up and said, God. And then somebody asked the, the question, where does God come from, the most Im- Uh, impossible question to answer. And so I began to answer that question Socratically as well. And I said basically, what is one plus one? And they said two. Well what is one plus one today? Uh, And tomorrow? And yesterday? And a hundred years from now? And a thousand years? And into the eternity uh, future and eternity past? It's always one plus one is two. See, there is something in the universe that is true. And if I can prove that there is something in the universe that is always true, I've just opened the door for the existence of God. Because God is truth. You could do the exact same thing with all the moral attributes of God. God is love. Love has always existed. We've learned love from our parents, and they learned it from their parents. And it goes all the way back to the beginning with Adam and Eve. And where did they learn it from? They learned it from God, because God is love. See, these are the moral attributes that uh, we have been given when we were created. The moral attributes, uh, made we are made in the image of God. And so we were given the ability to reign and rule on the earth uh, through love and truth and goodness. Uh, If you trace back anything beautiful and anything good, it always goes back to, God and so these uh, moral attributes have always been around. They are the attributes of God and God created us in his image and uh, your definition of the kingdom of God is perfect in that we are supposed to experience uh, joy uh, peace and love uh, through the image of God and so here in this passage Satan says you will be like God they were already like God (laughs) They were already experiencing the fullness of God in the kingdom. And they could not experience it anymore. They had this personal relationship with God. They saw God face to face. But then um, the woman saw that the tree was good for food. And it was a delight uh, to the eyes. And so she sees the good in that tree and uh, the delight that the fruit uh, brought to her eyes. But she forgot it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so she she forgot the consequences of what would happen if she ate from that tree. Because God also said, in the day that you eat from that tree, you will die, die. (laughs) You will surely die. And so um, she forgets that it's not only a tree of the the knowledge of good, but also of evil. There was a tree right in the middle of the garden. And so God had planted this garden, and everything they ever needed was in that garden. But right in the middle of the garden, God said, don't go to that tree, don't eat from that tree, because in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. You will be separated from me forever. You will be separated from me uh, in all that I have planned for you in the kingdom. And so um, that tree, uh, there was a serpent right waiting at that tree. And God said, don't go to that tree. <laughs> that is the tree Will, that will separate you from me. And and that's really the application that I'm going to talk about today is what happens, or what is it in your life that is separating you from God? What is that temptation in the middle of the garden that is going to separate you from being a kingdom man, from experiencing the full image of God uh, in our lives? And so uh, she took from the fruit and she ate it and she gave it to her husband and he ate. And that was... Uh, when Satan wrestled the kingdom away from man, and so what was the consequence? And uh, what did God do about it? And so God, uh, you know, God never has a plan B. <laughs> it was always Plan A. He knew that uh, man and woman would fall, but He said um, to the serpent, uh, to Satan, "I will put enmity, conflict between you and the woman." Uh, now, that's, that's why girls don't like snakes, right? <laughs> uh, I, in my uh, home in uh, Dallas, um, I'm transitioning now from Dallas uh, to Houston, and I'm teaching at Dallas uh, Seminary here in Houston. And so I'm mostly down here, but once a week I'm in Dallas uh, teaching there as well. Uh, I live in Cedar Hill, Next to state park, and we have snakes. And every year, I kill at least one poisonous snakes. So we we got the copperhead and the water moccasins and the rattlesnakes and the cor- the um, coral snakes. And yes, and I have seen every one of them on my property. And uh, every year, I kill at least one. <laughs> In the state park, I'm not allowed to kill them, but <laughs> when they come into my property. Uh, It's a different story. (laughs) And so uh, my wife does not like the snakes. (laughs) I don't like them either, though. And so he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. And so we see this interpersonal conflict as well uh, between mankind. And then we see um, the conflict between the seed of the woman, the promised seed of the woman, it's a singular here. He, uh, he, shall bruise you on the hill. He's talking to the snake. And you, the snake, the serpent, Satan, will bruise him on the hill. And so what we have in the beginning is this, um, this battle. This battle that's coming. And there will be two, uh, there will be two people in this battle. And, Uh, The promised seed of the woman will wrestle back the kingdom of God uh, back from Satan and reestablish what God intended in the beginning, the kingdom of God on earth. Uh, That's Jesus' prayer that he teaches the disciples, right? Uh, Let your will be done on earth, the mediated kingdom, as it is in heaven, the universal kingdom. And so really that is the... uh, biblical theology of the kingdom of God uh, from here on. Now, what happens also is there's conflict in marriage. And so in verse 16, uh, to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. So there's consequences. So the tree, it looked good. And uh, it felt good, but uh, there were consequences. And so uh, in pain you will give birth. Now, this woman is going to give birth to a messianic figure. Um, So her child will eventually give birth uh, down the line to this promised Messiah, this promised king that is coming. But in the process, it's going to be painful. And your desire will be for your husband. But he will rule over you. And so we have this conflict uh, in the rule of the kingdom of God. The fact that man was created first, uh, we are actually the leaders in our home. That's the argument that Paul makes every time he, he brings up the role of women in the church. He always brings up the created order. And so in, in uh, First Corinthians 11, he says, Basically, you know, Christ uh, submitted to the Father and so, and we must submit to Christ and the woman uh, to her husband, right? He brings up the created order. And so as men as men of the kingdom, we are to lead our families. Uh, we are to be the leaders in our church. We are to be uh, the leaders uh, that God has intended us to be. But the fall brought this conflict in our marriage. And so we have this battle for who will lead in our families. And uh, I don't know if you have experienced that, but I experience it all the time. <laughs> so um, this, is the, this is the reason that we experience this conflict in the church. And so part of our responsibility as kingdom men is to, to lead and to, uh, to train up our children, right? Uh, but it's not going to be easy. And so sin um, is basically crouching at the door. Uh, in 4 7, the Lord said to Cain, You know, why are you angry? And uh, he said, If you do well, uh, will not your uh, countenance be lifted up? And he's, If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. This is the same. Uh, parallel passage uh, to the woman. Your desire will be for your husband. It's not that she desires us uh, physically and attracted to us. I mean, she may. <laughs> Hopefully. that's not, But that's not what it's talking about here. It's talking about she's wanting to uh, reign and rule in the relationship. Now, if woman was created first, then yes, she would uh, be the leader in the family. But For some reason, I don't know why God did this, he created us first. Because the women seem to be a lot smarter than we are. Uh, And they're the ones who are really uh, holding the church together and holding the families together. But it was our responsibility to do that. And so we must uh, really take that responsibility and that role in the relationship back. And so sin is here doing the same thing. It's crouching at the door. And it's desires for us, and it wants to rule over us but uh, we must master it. Okay, so this is the conflict we have in the created order. Now, what happens is uh, Adam and Eve, they have a child, and they think this child, Cain, is the one, but uh, he turns out uh, to be, uh, like Satan, a murderer, a liar from the beginning. And so uh, God gives a new son for uh, in place of Abel, and so the... The seed is passed through, the promised seed is passed through this new son and then passed to Noah. And what happens in Noah's day is that God um, looks over the creation and he uh, is sorrowful because of man's rebellion against him. And so what does God do? He starts over. So he releases chaos upon the earth and the water covered the earth just as in the beginning. And then God chooses one family, Noah and his uh, sons, and he starts all over. In a sense, Noah is the, the new Adam, typologically. And so he starts over. And so uh, he preserves them on the ark, and then uh, the animals, and then um, he starts all over from the beginning. This is the pattern that we're going to see in the Old Testament. But he makes a promise to Noah, and he says, "I will not destroy the earth again." And he gives the the ark, the uh, the rainbow, in the sky. Okay. And so the next time, uh, and it's good he did that because if he didn't do that every two or three hundred years, he would have to destroy the earth all over again because man would just become so wicked. And so. Um, the next time it happens in the Tower of Babel, they're building this tower to heaven and replacing the name of Yahweh with their own idolatrous name. And so instead of God destroying the earth again, he starts over all over again with one man, uh, Abraham. But the seed is being uh, traced in the genealogy in the what we call the records of the toledoth in Hebrew in the book of uh, Genesis where it's mentioned 10 times, this record. They're following the seed of the woman and now it's given to Abraham. And so in Abraham, he's promised that he would have a son. So he's promised a people, a place, and a blessing. This blessing is the son, the messianic son that's coming and being traced through the Old Testament. Now, in 15.6, Abe's son would save him. So when God, uh, he has no children, and he says, you know, I I don't have children. I I only have my uh, servant. No, God says, no, you will have a son. And look up at the stars. And uh, those uh, descendants will come from your body. And that particular blessing will come from your body. The promised Messiah. And so when Abraham believes, he believes... uh, And it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And so this imputed, this reckoning is what we call imputation. His righteousness was imputed to him because of his faith. It wasn't because he believed in God. It was because he believed God would give him a son. And it wasn't just uh, the son believing in a son that saved him. It was believing this son would save him. And so in order to, to have a savior, In order to have salvation, you need a savior. And so he believed that his son would someday save him. And that's when he offers Isaac later. He realizes that the promised seed is in his son Isaac. And if Isaac dies, the promise dies. And so Isaac is invincible until he has a child. Because that seed is in him. And so he believes, according to Hebrews uh, 11, that God would raise Isaac from the dead because I promised seed was in him. The kingdom of God, the king, was in his son's seed, and so Isaac must be raised from the dead. This is the Proto Evangelium, the first gospel in Genesis 3.15. Adam and Eve needed to know in order to be saved, they needed a savior. And so they understood clearly that their child would save them someday. He would be the coming king that would restore back the kingdom of God uh, on earth. And so um, we see the promise in 17.6 that kings will come forth from you, Abraham. And then we can follow that through uh, Genesis 22.17 uh, through 18. In your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so this uh, restart uh, God is restarting or recreating, uh, again, the kingdom of God in one man, Abraham. And instead of the Garden of Eden, he chooses uh, from the uh, Euphrates down to uh, the the river near Egypt. And so this new era, Israel, will be where God will start the kingdom again all over. And so what now what we're waiting for is the sun. And so Jacob's uh, is line is promised as well. Kings shall come forth from you, Genesis 35, 11. And then the promise that Judah, one of the 12 tribes, will actually um, produce the kingdom, the king. Um, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, um, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And Shiloh is basically a contraction of... Uh, uh, the, some Hebrew uh, connective words, which means until he comes, until the one who owns the scepter comes. And so now we have a specific uh, tribe in which the, the coming king is, is, is going to come. When um, Balaam is talking to, uh, when Balaam is trying to curse Israel, uh, this prophet uh, is unable to curse Israel and only bless Israel. Remember, if God can use a donkey, he can use uh, this false prophet. <laughs> and so, uh, whatever he says, he blesses Israel. And Balak says, don't, don't even talk anymore. <laughs> and every time Balaam opens his mouth, a new blessing comes upon Israel. And here's one of them. A king would come from Jacob. And he would crush, and this Genesis 3.15, he would crush the head of Moab, Uh, This is the serpent imagery here. And uh, his seed will be like many waters, and his king shall be higher, and his kingdom will be exalted. So here is the coming king. And he says again, I see him. I see this king, but not now. Behold, uh, I behold him, but he's not near. A star shall rise from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel, and he again he shall crush the forehead of Moab. And so we see the imagery again of the snake being crushed. This coming king is is going to retake the kingdom of God on earth. And so then we come to the Ten Commandments in Moses. Uh, now Moses is going to write that uh, there's going there's coming a prophet uh, in Deuteronomy at. Um, Eighteen. There's coming a prophet, and he will speak, uh, he will be just like me, but he won't stutter. And uh, whatever he says you must do, this is the coming prophet, Uh, this is the coming king as well. Uh, In Deuteronomy 17 we see uh, that a king is coming who will be chosen from among their countrymen, Now, he's not supposed to uh, amass wealth, or horses, or marry many women. And and of course, Solomon's going to do all of the above. And he's going to lose uh, half or most of the kingdom as a result. Uh, The kingdom on earth that God has started all over again with Israel. And eventually Israel's going to fail. Hannah prays in her prayer. She humbles herself. Uh, She's asking for a child, not for herself, but for the kingdom of God. And she gives him back to the Lord. She says, look, I'm not going to cut his hair. He's kind of a Samson figure. And he's going to do what Samson failed to do. He's going to come in and anoint the king of Israel. So she prays this this prayer of revival. She sparks the revival in Israel. And Samuel is born. And then Samuel becomes the prophet of the king. He anoints the the messianic uh, king. And so it says the Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king. There was no king in that day, remember, in Judges? Uh, The end of the book of Judges, everybody did what what was right in their own eyes because in those days there was no king in Israel. And so Judges is really preparing us for a king in Samuel. There was failed leadership. The The Judges were becoming more and more corrupt in the book of Judges. And in Samuel, we have failed leadership as well. Um, Eli's sons are corrupt. Eventually, uh, Samuel's sons become corrupt. Samuel is corrupt. And so what does God do? He promises David, since No one on this earth can perform my will, David. I will come into human history. I will give you a son. He will be your son, David, and he will be my son. And so what we have uh, is uh, the kingdom of God. God is going to come into human history, and he's going to uh, actually keep the Mosaic Law perfectly himself. It only takes one person to keep the Mosaic Law. And so David becomes the federal head, the representative, the new Adam. And so if his son can keep the Ten Commandments, the, if his son can keep the law and keep it perfectly, he now will impute his righteousness to us and impute, we impute our unrighteousness back to him. That's the reversal of the kingdom uh, of the fall in uh, the beginning where Adam's sin was imputed to us, and so now we all have uh, the marred image of God in us. And so Jesus, this coming Messiah, the Son of David, this greater Son of David, is going to impute back uh, this righteousness, the image of God back in us. And that's where we're headed in the whole Old Testament. Now, um, so he promises... uh, When your days are complete, you will lie down. I'll raise up for you a descendant after you who will come forth from you. I will establish his kingdom forever. I will build him a house for my name. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him. He will be a son to me. Now, until we get to that greater son of David, uh, when your sons, David, commit sin, I will correct him with the rod of men. And the strokes of the Son of Man. They won't be able to keep the law. But when the perfect Son comes, then He will take back the kingdom. Now that's uh, the Davidic covenant. And basically, um, He promises Him, My loving kindness shall not depart from Him. I will guarantee this. I won't take it away from him as I did from Saul. And so this is a guarantee. God is going to come into human history and he's going to fulfill the law perfectly, completely in the perfect son of David. And the throne will be established forever. He will take back the kingdom. Now, we see David understands this. And David is praying prophetically. Uh, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath my feet. Now, we don't go around telling our our children, Lord, (laughs) Master, I don't call my son or my daughter that. They're supposed to call me that, right? (laughs) But David calls his son that, Lord. And then he promises that he will sit at the right hand of Yahweh. Nobody sits at the right hand of God unless he's divine. And so David understands uh, that his son is this messianic, a son that will save him as well. Now, um, Daniel's going to see this exact same thing. The son of man sitting at the right hand of the power coming on the clouds of heaven. So we see in the book of Daniel, he sees this coming kingdom. Now, I'm taking you through the whole Old Testament, and I'm going to have to, to stop because I'm out of time. But uh, I'm just giving you a jet tour through the Old Testament <laughs> and the kingdom of God. Uh, so uh, David foresees that his son will die, and uh, he has these prophetic, what I call, nightmares, and he sees his son uh, giving his life uh, for uh, mankind. And then Isaiah sees the exact same thing, and he says to uh, uh, Ahaz, uh, when Ahaz refuses to trust God, he says, God doesn't need a man. He will bring the Messiah just through a woman. And so what happens is the, since we are the leaders in the home, sin is imputed through the men, not the women. And so the child is born through a woman, a virgin, and the sin nature is not passed down to Jesus. And so Jesus comes in as this, the final Adam, just like in the beginning. Uh, he, he is without sin. And so he can represent us. Well, um, I'm going to just skip to the the end here. But basically, uh, we come to the New Covenant. And in the New Covenant, uh, God is going to fulfill everything, uh, uh, the Noahic Covenant, the Abrahamic Covenant, uh, the Mosaic Covenant, in the New Covenant, Because the king is going to completely fulfill the Mosaic covenant and he's going to give us a new covenant, one that we can keep. Uh, That's because he fulfilled the covenant. He imputes his righteousness to us. We impute our unrighteousness to him forever. We are credited with his righteousness as the final Adam. And then we come, uh, this is the teaser for the next week. We come to the New Testament and Jesus is tempted by Satan in the wilderness. And he follows the same temptations as Adam and Eve, but succeeds where they failed. And so Satan comes at uh, uh, Jesus and there's one man on this earth that he cannot tempt. And Jesus wrestles back the kingdom of earth at this point. Round one, Jesus wins. And there's... Two more rounds coming, and Jesus is going to win those rounds as well. And so he wrestles back uh, the kingdom of God on earth uh, to be continued. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this week's podcast. We hope you can join us in person. We meet Thursday mornings at 6:30 a.m. in the garden room of Houston's First Baptist Church. For more details and to register, you can visit us on the web at warriorsheart.org. That's warriorsheart.org. Have a great day.